welcome. Really glad that you guys are here. So excited to be hanging out with you guys. Is summer is moving towards a close, or at least it kind of feels that way with the school year. Right? I know many of you are like, please, school, don't come. But at least for me, man, it has been so brutally hot recently that I am so excited for October when we go from 105 to 98. Right? Like, can't we? Yeah, like, praise God for that, right? But no, so excited to be with you guys. But man, to start it this morning, I'd love to pray, and then we'll get going. Father, we thank you for today. I thank you for the gift of being a child of yours, of knowing that I once walked in a way of wickedness and of brokenness and of sin. And even though now I still, man, I can make a mess of my life, I stand forgiven. I stand free. I am redeemed. I thank you for that gift in the hearts of those who believe here today. And God, I pray for the hearts of those folks who are here, who are wrestling with it, that you would come and illuminate their hearts, that you would bring a redemption that only you can do, that that the pain that we all have in life, that we would feel your hand leading us through it. Father, I'm asking you to do what only you can do, and it's change lives. Would you start with me? Would you go through the heart of every person here? May we either leave knowing you or leave more in love with you. If you guys would, just wherever you sit, if you have a faith, take the next 10 seconds and pray to yourself. Pray that God would use this time in your life to strengthen your faith. If y'all would, please take the next 10 seconds, pray for me. Pray that I would be helpful. Pray that my words would be God's. Lord, we love you. It's a privilege to gather. It is a privilege to pray. We give you this time. It's in your name. Amen. Guys, I was in a... What felt like to me a shocking conversation recently. Like it was very surprising. There was this kind of what I expected and then there was this whole other answer to it. And you may be surprised even hearing a bit of the context. I was talking with two folks. One, retired army. The other, current air force. Both big major military men. The retired army was a former army ranger. Anybody here know army rangers? Y'all heard of that? If not, you need to watch Black Hawk Down. Make sure your parents are with you but you need to watch Black Hawk Down. Essentially, an army ranger, what they are is it is the army has their infantry, but rangers are elite infantry. So once you go through basic training in infantry school, from that, you then go to army ranger school. And I was talking with my friend about it, and the other guy there, and the other guy, he's in the military, he's former army, now Air Force, he's a colonel, he's a recruiter, so he knows all this stuff too. And I asked them, Right? Because the guy who's retired ranger, he used to be an instructor at ranger school. Right? So as all these new recruits came, his job was to prepare them or to weed them out for what it meant to be a ranger. For what it meant to really be worthy. They have this amazing like ranger tab. They put it right here. It's this honorable thing. And I asked him, man, who made the best recruits for that? Like when you got a whole new class, like who were you expecting to be great And then I asked him, and man, who are the people 
that most often is they show up and everyone shows up thinking, I will be a ranger. I'm gonna go through all of this. I will endure, I will become. Who made the worst recruits? It was amazing. This guy was Air Force, this guy's army, and they didn't miss a beat on what they said. Right, they described it and they said, hey, the folks who came who made the worst, West Point graduates. Now, if you're here and you graduated from West Point or you got family going there, I mean, no disrespect to y'all, it's broad strokes with everything, but I was shocked. And if you're not shocked, here's what you need to know about West Point. It's the Army's undergrad university where they invest close to a half a million dollars in making men and women into soldiers. To where you spend four years, you come out, not at a regular level, but you come out of the status of an officer where you have known what it means to carry the title, what it means to be worthy of the title of soldier. And he tells me the folks who had the hardest time, the folks who the instructors, when they came through, there was almost a sense of they won't make it, was West Point grads. Guys, that would have been the first group of people that if I had to pick on, okay, I bet they had the easiest time. I bet they showed up prepared that they were ready for it. They understood the mantle they were going to embrace and they went to work. And he said, no, They came with this mindset of knowing, okay, I already have been through something elite and prestigious. They came with almost this sense of entitlement to it. And it never went as well for them. I was fascinated by that. Guys, the more I think on it, the more fascinating that is, I think that happens so much to us. Here's, Here's what I mean. If you're here and you consider yourself a Christian, Right, You carry this title of Christian. You carry this mantle of Christian. And yet so many of us, so many of us don't live up in a worthy way to the title. So many of us, when it comes to where people want to see and inspect and examine the substance of our faith, when, when they look at what comes from it, There's confusion in the same way that I would have thought all these West Point grads would have been the perfect ones to go through it. Turns out they weren't. I was confused. Right now, as I share this, you have to know two things, especially when it comes to being a Christian, right? There's two key themes. The first is where our worth comes from, where the title of of soldier or Christian originates. Because here's what's true. You do nothing to earn it. Like, that's the amazing part of the Christian faith, guys. Like, if you've grown up thinking God is this cosmic authoritarian in the sky who looks at you and demands just do better, just be clean, just be sober, just go to church, just don't cuss, just don't watch this, just give money, just be kind. If you believe that, you've missed it. You see, the first part when it comes to talking about worth It's for a Christian that comes just from the moment you believe. You see, the Christian faith, it's founded on the reality of you and I, we were never good enough to earn our way to heaven. Though we come and we can try to be better versions of ourselves, we could not cover the gap between us and the holiness of eternity. So instead of working our way up, instead of being a better version of ourselves, God Almighty, because he loves us, he came down. His name is Jesus. And because you and I were unworthy to carry the mantle, he lived a perfect and a worthy life. 
He died and he thought of me and all my brokenness and all my pain. He thought of you and all your brokenness and all your pain. He rose from the grave to prove everything that is true. And one day, he's coming back again. The first place a Christian finds their worth, it's not through effort. It's not through earning. It's not through trying harder. It's not through being a better version. It comes by God Almighty looking at us. And because we simply believe saying, worthy. It's a gift that he gives freely. Worthy. It's much like the same way, right? And the, the illustration can break down here, but it's much like the same like a West Point grad. If they get a full ride and somehow in the, in the university contract, there's this written in guarantee, no matter what you do, you will graduate from this institution and they're just guaranteed it. But what happens in the same way in our hearts, like so many times because we've been made worthy, we don't live in a manner that's worthy. Like there's all these things that we know and then there's all these things that we do and there's this gap. And today, the Apostle Paul, as we continue in the book of Philippians, he's gonna address that gap. He's going to address something of how he wants you and me to live worthy. Why? Because Jesus Christ made us worthy. Do you know every person, and psychologists believe this, everyone believes this, even outside of spirituality, every person has this major strong pull towards a sense of worth, a sense of significance, Like, it's a major thing that folks are trying to address through self-esteem, self-worth. There's now a new phrase, self-compassion. They're all trying to find this antidote to it. That's why people have midlife crisis. Because they don't think they've done anything of worth. They think they've gone through life and it's been wasted. It's why folks now have quarter-life crises. It's because there's this lack of purpose and meaning and worth to them. Here's what's amazing. The Christian faith has the absolute antidote. The antidote primarily starts with when you come to believe in Jesus Christ, he changes your identity. He makes you worthy. He calls you beloved. You're a son. You're a daughter. The old is gone. The new has come. And one day in heaven, God awaits you. He knows your name. He knows what creates anxiety in you, and he knows what grows in affection in you. Why? You're a child, and he's crazy about you. You're made worthy. But with a right understanding of that, here's what Paul's going to show us. Though we've been made worthy, we are meant to live worthy. Like what we believe should transform our lives. It should change how we act. It should change how we behave and here's why I think this is so essential is you have to understand that order right so many times local churches or you come and here's what happens they instruct people like me and we mean well but people like me we can come and we teach to behavior and we say here's how you're supposed to live and then from how you live we try to instill in you who you are in Christ biblically that order has always been reversed who you are in Jesus Christ, the fact that you're a saint, you're a son, you're a daughter, you're an heir, you're beloved, you're cherished, you're chosen. 
That informs how you are to live. What we're gonna see today is the Apostle Paul, as he drills into the reality of we've been made worthy, he's gonna come and he's gonna do what the local church here, all across America, all across the world needs to hear. He's gonna come and say, you have this treasure, you have this precious sense of worth that's been given to you. Live like it. The gospel transforms, the gospel changes not just the moment you believe, but continually through your life. So today we're gonna see those who have been made worthy, you are saved by grace through faith. It's by nothing that you do. Those who have been made worthy are meant to live worthy. We're gonna see it in Philippians chapter one. We're gonna finish that chapter today. We're gonna look at verses 27 through 30. And really what Paul's going to say is he, is he reminds you and I that those who, are, those who are made worthy are meant to live worthy. He's going to give us three ways that living in a worthy manner, living in response to knowing you're a child of God, you're loved, you're forgiven, you're free, you're redeemed. Those who know that, who get that, who grasp that, who fight for that, they strive to live and to show that in three ways. Unity, courage, and suffering. Where we are in this chapter, Paul, he's writing this letter from a, a Roman prison cell. He just wrote to this church in Philippi, this church that he knew, this church that he had founded about 11 to 12 years before this. He just wrote in this context this famous and amazing verse where he shares the theme of the entire book, this joyous choir of the reality, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And he's talking about how what Jesus Christ has done in his life, it's made him worthy. And because of that, it changes everything. It changes how he's going to live. And it changes the way he can't wait for and long to be in eternity with God. And right on the heels of that, he's going to come. And the first thing he's going to do is he's going to say, but church, we got to address how we live. We're not saved by how we live. But because we're saved... It sanctifies, it changes how we live. So that's where we're going to be. Philippians 1, 27 through 30. So if you have a Bible, you can turn with me, pull it up on your phone. You can look at it here on the screens if you can see it. I'm going to start by reading verse 27 first, right, as we examine this theme of unity, and then we're going to break it out as we go. Philippians 1, 27. Author of God through the Apostle Paul. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. So that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Guys, this is the first thing that we see here as Christians. Like, if you believe in Jesus, here's what's true. You have been made worthy. You didn't earn it. You didn't deserve it. It wasn't because you did something impressive. It's not because you had any intrinsic value. It's because God is gracious, and he gave it to you. And in response to that, Paul says, only let the manner of your life be worthy 
of the gospel. I love this. Let the manner of your life, your Bible, if you're reading from an NIV, it may say, conduct yourselves in a way that's worthy of the gospel. Conduct yourselves. He's speaking to, again, your conduct. The phrase, it would have connected with this local audience there in Philippi. Philippi is just northeast modern-day Greece, right? It would have connected with them where literally the language was live as a citizen, It's talking about how, hey, if you're a Texan, oh man, I'm not from Texas, but one of the things I found out when I moved here, Texas is its own nationality. I intentionally use that language. Like people are like, Texan first, American second. I can remember I got here, I was like, that's crazy. Like y'all have a Texas pledge to the flag or whatever. You don't do that in other states, right? But if you're raised here, here's what's instilled in you. Conduct yourself as a Texan, right? It's the same thing that folks then would have connected with, just the reality of live in a manner worthy of the gospel. If the gospel is something that we claim is precious and worthy and wonderful, how do we live in response to it? And Paul says he wants this to be true, and I love this, whether I come to you or I'm absent. The context there is Paul says, whether I get out of this jail cell and get to visit my friends, which are you, or they kill me here because of my faith. I want your faithfulness to be worthy of the faith that you have been given. Those who are made worthy are meant to live worthy. And the first theme he shows, it's unity. Like even as you you look at this text there in 27, he says, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. There's three themes that really stand out here. One mind, one spirit, standing firm, striving. And then he comes and he uses this language, striving side by side. Do you know one of the ways that we demonstrate that Jesus Christ is true is there's real unity here. There's like actual relationships amongst us, right? There's a unity in the same mind of Christ. The faith that we have changes, transforms, and it becomes the number one mission of your soul. Yes, get a good job. Yes, disciple a family. Yes, have a lot of fun, take vacations. But the reason you're on this earth is to grow in a love for Christ and to help others do the same all for his glory and your good. Live worthy and you demonstrate that with unity. Standing firm, I love this. Paul uses two references here. Standing firm, it's literally language that would have been used for like a guard who was put at a position to protect an individual out front at the gates watching for the enemy, standing firm. And then he uses another, striving side by side. It's literally the reality of from the one individual growing into a common army, arms linked, standing in opposition to an army coming against. Here's why I think this is amazing. We live in a time, we live in a world that is more tribal, that is more factious, that is more quarrelsome, that is more broken, that is more conflict avoidant, that is more passive, that is more less pursuing of unity than ever. And what's one of the ways that God in heaven, who's given us this gift, wants us to show the world that we have something different? 
by showing them we live differently. There's real unity here. Like, it, it's, it's a cliche to talk about folks, and if you're younger, hopefully you don't know this, but older, you definitely know this, how politics takes place in the church. That makes no sense biblically. The church should be the most united. Doesn't mean you don't work through stuff. But it means because of Christ, you work through stuff. Where unity is real here. Guys, unity takes place at every level. It happens in friendships, marriages, family dinner tables. Like here, if you're at the Springs, through through community groups, through Sunday morning environments, through the team that you serve on, to where you just don't go by with being okay with mild tension, hidden conflict, unresolved issues. You don't go by with not having an alignment of vision and where God is leading us and directing us. We go by with a sense of, I'm here to stand firm and I'm here to strive side by side. Man, I got to hang out I get to hang out with a lot of community groups. I got to spend one, went, hung out with them, sat in the living room a couple weeks ago. I got to share with this community group, right, something really encouraging to me where I shared, hey, I think this is one of the healthiest community groups, most faithful, most mature at the Springs. It was amazing because I knew what was going to happen, but everyone in the community group immediately just started laughing at me. Like they were laughing at that reality as they stopped and they self-assessed, because here's why. A year ago, I'd gone and I'd hung out with that community group. And that community group was in such disarray, such disunity, such dysfunction, that it was honestly, hey, we gotta come, we gotta resolve pieces, we gotta make peace, we gotta repent of sin. But honestly, guys, this is so hard right now. I think one of the most faithful things that we could do is if this group just dissolved. Because we're calling this community, this has nothing to do with community. I can remember three weeks after sharing that, one of the wives in the group called me, which is this healthy, kind of holy anger of just saying, man, how could you do that? I've grown to know these people. I'm committed to these people. We can fight for unity. Because unity, guys, it's the fruit of all the hard work of faithfulness. Does that make sense? It's the, it's the fruit of working it out in tension and relationships. It's the fruit of abiding with Christ in disciplines. It's the fruit of coming forward and being actually vulnerable with what's going on, striving side by side, going to war for faithfulness. That's the fruit that comes out of it. As she made it abundantly clear, the group made it abundantly clear, watch what happens. We're going to keep going. God Almighty, as they sought to pursue unity, the fruit of all these different practices, transformed that group. I could literally go around and tell you about every single individual. The the leader of the group went from being uh, very faithful, very spiritual, but passive. Passive. Having these moments where knowing he's supposed to lean in, he's supposed to speak the truth in love, and he didn't. He let the pitch go by. He went from that to saying, no, God has sent me. I got to help you. One of the men in the group went from being an absent husband, an absent father, an addict, to abiding with Christ, repenting of sin, asking forgiveness, coming home, and being a spiritual pace setter for the group. One of the men took seriously sexual sin is no longer going to be tolerated. 
I'm gonna actually try and kill it. And I'm gonna be terrified to put it out there because I've said I'd do this before and I failed so many times, but I'm still gonna do it. Will you help me? That's just the men. What did it create? Unity. They were already made worthy. They were forgiven. They were free. But they stopped going to a community group and actually fought for a community. Huge difference. Huge difference. We've been made worthy. Because of that, we're meant to live worthy. One of the ways we do that is unity. Another way we do that is courage. Let's look at verse 28. Right, jump back in your Bible with me. Verse 28. And... So this is continuing on. What's the other thing? So Paul, he's giving these things that mark those who live in a worthy manner of the gospel. He's going to give us the second. And not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation. And that from God. So if, here's what's true. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you've been made worthy. And because you've been made worthy, you're meant to live worthy. The second place that shows up is courage. Like faithful courage, not foolish boldness. Faithful courage. I love this. He says, do not be frightened by anything in your opponents. He's, he's talking here, guys, specifically to believer, non-believer. He, he drills home that theme with the theme of destruction. That is eternal separation from God and salvation. Do not be frightened. I love the language here. Like, even the understanding of the original, it's like, don't be startled. Don't flinch back. Don't shrink back. He's saying, when people come in opposition to your faith, be unflinching, be unwavering, be resolute. And I love the reason. It's not so you can show up with some form of spiritual machismo, that is not the reason. Paul tells you the why. He says, because it's to them, it is a clear sign of their destruction and of your salvation. It's because through you is they look and they see someone who should shrink back and doesn't. They start to think, what if I'm wrong? And God wants you to change their heart in the same way he once changed yours and he once changed mine. You see what's amazing? How right here, you see it through unity, you see it through courage. Each one of these, the reasons that we are meant to live worthy is because it is a testimony to the world. It's people who know the kindness and the goodness and the love of God are meant to be kind and good and loving, showing this God is true, and a part of that is courage. Like right here, here's what would have been true of this context. Courage likely took on embracing the reality of physical, verbal, emotional persecution for being a Christian. That's very different at times in New Braunfels. Like courage in the face of an opponent, again, it's not this spiritual machismo where you bow up your chest and just go online to find the right answers and you just want to throw Bible verses with right answers at people, all without a heart to really love, to understand, and to acknowledge there's good questions. And good questions require faithful people. 
but it's to come and say, this world's not gonna like me for what I believe. Like we're starting to see that. Like, like 20 years ago, if you wanna do well in business in a local community, even outside of the Bible Belt, you needed to be a Christian. 20 years ago, it, it would have been ridiculous, and I'm not going overly political, for a political candidate to not have a well-committed faith and religion to Jesus Christ. That was not even considerate. Now it's one of those where it doesn't really benefit you to be a culturally Christian. It doesn't really benefit you to where when folks come and they say things like, hey, I think you're on the wrong side of history. Or they say, "Is I told Christians before I became a Christian, there's no way this book is true. If your God is good, why would he allow? How is God of the Old Testament different than God of the New Testament? And I was so foolish and I was so wrong. And by grace, he humbled me. But we are not to shrink back. We are to embrace the reality of perhaps pain may come for what we believe. Two weeks ago, I was getting my hair cut at uh, Great Clips. It's always a great chance, like haircut places, salons, servers, taxis, Ubers. They're stuck with you. They're tip dependent, right? So it's a great chance to literally like engage in a faith conversation. I started talking with a, a, a neat gal, Right? She shared something about how she's talking about going to jury duty, and she made this reference to, like, we'll see if the fates have it so. And I heard that. I was like, oh, that's kind of spiritual. And I asked her, hey, do you happen to have a faith? Here's where the conversation went off the question. Hey, do you happen to have a faith? She ends up coming to share it. No, she is a Christian. She's connected to a church here. She and her husband are looking to grow. They've had some hard times, but going now. And then she starts to tell me about a friend of hers. Right? A, a friend of hers. And the story I'm going to tell you there's a lot of bad theology in it, but I'm going to step aside from that and pull out a point where she comes to say, like, almost, hey, what, what do you think of this? She had a friend of hers that was talking to her about the apocalypse. The apocalypse is a passion of hers. The apocalypse, or eschatology, how the world ends, right? And her friend had come to her, and if you don't understand these terms, don't worry about it. Stay with me. And her friend had said, the mark of the beast if you don't know it, check out Revelation 13 later, right? The mark of the beast, when they come to put that on me, which already is confusing if she's Christian, right? But the mark of the beast, when they come to put that on me, those numbers, here's what I'm gonna do. And the hairdresser's telling me, she's like, I don't know how I'm supposed to respond. Here's what I'm gonna do. Because if you don't get the mark, they'll kill you. So her friend is daydreaming about, hey, if and when this happens to me, here's how I'm gonna navigate this scenario. That's what's going through her head. And then she's talking to me. When the mark of the beast comes, hey, here's what I'm gonna do. I'm going to get my own fake tattoo. I'm going to put it there. That way they'll think I got the tattoo. I won't have to renounce Christ, but I'll have the tattoo, and I can just go about living fine. And she's looking at me, and I'm like, there's so many things there to talk about. <laughs> so many things. Right? But I just share with that lady. I shared, no, hey, here, here's how I'd encourage a friend. Right? And again, theology here is all, guys. But if that were to happen, right, in that moment, take the mark. Lose your life. Plead with God for courage as your knees knock in fear. We should not daydream about how to just get by. We should daydream about, God, would you give me more courage? That's not the spiritual machismo. That's with like a pleading heart 
of, hey, God, would you give me enough faith? Though they reviled you, you did not revile in return. Though they uttered threats against you, you didn't speak back. You suffered in courage. Guys, are you okay with, if you're the friend who, because of the way you date, the way you pursue sexual purity, all your other friends think you're crazy? Like when you're in a culture that says, try before you buy, you don't know if you should really marry them until you figure it out if you're sexually compatible. Be worthy of the gift that you have. Hate sin, extend grace, call them to faith. Walk on. Will you be one of those who instead, when you go to embrace college, and there's this now perspective that college, it's really just a social experience where you go find yourself and party, hopefully on mom and dad's dime and not taking loans for four years. You can extend your childhood. And then after that, that's when you got to grow up and be mature. That's when you can go and figure out faith. I literally remember thinking, you know what? I'll figure out the whole God thing when I'm 30. Made a mess of my life. Parents, you actually okay with the other moms come and look at you and they, they use the language of, you know, if my kid's gonna do it, they might as well do it under my house. I wanna make sure they're safe. I wanna make sure they can come and talk to me. Last thing I'd ever wanna do is be too strict. Love your kids. Train them in righteousness. Let the other moms shun you. You okay if you work in sales and people make ethically compromised sales decisions because they're financially incentivized and you get paid less. You get passed over for promotions. Are you okay being a medical practitioner? And other people look at you and say, why don't you observe these things? Why don't you perform these surgeries? Why don't you do this or that or bill this way against insurance? And they mock you. They leave you out. Please, God, we'd finally actually get to suffer for it. Christianity is right now the number one persecuted faith in the world. By the grace of God, we're starting to see culturally Christian is no longer normal. So what does that mean? The fringe is fraying off. We should be so grateful for that. Because hopefully through that in darkness, the light that's here could shine. Why? Because we have been made worthy. And because we've been made worthy, we're meant to live worthy. And a worthiness comes not with machismo, but with real courage. Let's see the final one, where Paul, he goes from unity to courage, and now he's going to say, we show our worth in suffering. Suffering. Let me open this back up. So this is verses 29 through 30. Gosh, the Bible's just amazing. If you were going to fake and make up your own faith, you would not write this stuff, okay? Hear me out. Listen to this. For it has been granted to you. We'll talk about what that means. It's been given. It's been sovereignly appointed. It has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, that's good, but also suffer for his sake, but also suffer for him engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. Those who believe you have been made worthy, and because you've been made worthy, you're meant to live worthy. And the third way that we do that, it's we suffer. We suffer well. I love this, it starts, for it has been granted to you. Granted here, it's talking about a sovereign appointment, a giving. Granted, in the Greek, literally where it comes back, it's the same root word as the word grace. 
It's not just saying it's been given. It's saying in this connotation it's been given as a gift. And the first gift that's given through this that you see is the reality of faith in Jesus Christ. The gospel, knowing that I was once far off, I have been brought near, that as a prodigal who by God's grace came to his senses, walked home, the Father ran to me that despite all my past, present, future sin, I'm still here forgiven and free. And he calls me child and one day. I will stand with him in eternity and I will see him face to face. That's been granted. What has been also been granted is that we would suffer for his sake. Like, let me ask you, does your view of God allow for him to put you through suffering? Paul's did. The Bible's does. Like, where where do we draw the line? Your Bible has no line. The line is just plead with God for faithfulness until he brings you to glory. The suffering here, what's unique too is there's kind of two different general categories of suffering. There's like how the world can suffer because we live in a broken and a fallen world. Just the reality of that. Sickness in children, families, brokenness, illness, natural disasters, all these things. And then there's suffering on behalf of faith. The context here, what Paul's speaking to is on behalf of faith. It's enduring persecution. Paul, you know he's saying that because he uses there at the end, he says, right, the suffering that you saw I had and I now have. Paul's giving two illustrations. The first, he's reminding them of what it was like when they first met Paul. You see, when Paul first brought this news to the church in Philippi, he came, he told people about Jesus, he's preaching about Jesus, it's going along, like people were trusting Christ, like energy is high. It would have felt like up and to the right. And then all of a sudden, the leaders, Paul and Silas, these two guys come, they're taken to the market square. They're, they're, these people take rods and they beat them. Yeah, energy would have dipped. And once they beat them, they think, oh, what do we do now? Let's throw them in prison. It's Acts 16. Check it out. There's this amazing thing where God comes, frees them from prison, comes back. Paul's saying, hey, you remember how it felt up and to the right, but then all of a sudden they came and there was rods and then I was in a prison cell singing hymns of faith because I had to remind myself because I didn't want to die there. That's what it's like. And then he says, and you now see me in, fast forward all that time, Paul, up to this point, he's been in at least prison for two years, arguably three to four. Why? Because of what he said. You think they would have let him walk out if he would have said, hey, I don't believe this anymore. I won't tell anybody. I bet they would have. But he said, no, man, I'll stay. I'll suffer. Here's why I think that's amazing. Paul gives two instances in time where it was back here and then it showed up again here. Man, when it comes to like suffering on behalf of my faith or other people looking down on me or or for whatever your scenario is, people in the business community, your family, when you go home, you're looked at as the weirdo Christian Bible thumper, right? You, You get all that, whatever it is. When it comes to suffering, we tend to put this like internal time clock on it. Like, you know who endures this most, I think? Spouses of unrepentant, unruly, and rebellious spouses. 
It's cruelty. It's persecution of the faith. How could you? Why would you believe this? You're such a fool. No, I don't want to respond to that. No, I don't want to go. Why would you call our marriage like that? No, I don't want to steal this in the hearts of our kids. We all can come and we put this internal time clock on it. We would never say that though. But we would say, no, 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 yeah, yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to suffer until like intuition tells me the cons now outweigh the pros. And God, he, he loves me and God is good so he wouldn't want me to continue suffering. No, maybe it was granted to you to suffer. Maybe that's part of the demonstration of the worthiness of the faith that you have that in the midst of darkness, your light would shine as you plead to do so in unity with others because you're never meant to go it alone, asking for a courage in the face of opposition that builds in this resounding chorus of it is well with my soul. Like here's what's hard as I sat here and I like prepared for this. I have to like try really hard to think of like stories of how this, this in like a New Braunfels context like happens to us and, and how it shows up. Like, like you can come and talk about, yes, you go home for Thanksgiving and then you're the weird person or you can go and do all this and then family view you differently or what your parents think and you're the only one coming. But I think we have to, like the application of this I think for this one, we have to pray for more of an opportunity to demonstrate the worth of our faith by the privilege of the suffering for it, which is crazy. That's crazy. You have to come, and the application out of it is like, God, hey, would you give me a chance to demonstrate how worthy you are by letting me to suffer for you in a different way? Would you hold me close because, man, if it crushes me, I may, in my broken and simple faith, I, I may want to turn from you, and so I'll need you to, to hold me together, to piece me back. But would you give me that kind of faith? You've been made worthy. We are meant to live worthy. He's crazy about you. You don't earn anything to heaven. Your brokenness, the sin from last night, the stuff that you're still trying to think about, the sin that as you sit here, you think to yourself, there's no way I'll ever be able to stop doing this. My temper, my alcoholism, my sexual addiction, my gambling, my materialism, my, my, my gluttony, my control over my family, my, my constant sense of always being a victim, Whatever it is that you feel enslaved to, here's what you have to know. You're still totally loved. If you believe, like you're still totally loved, you are forgiven, like you're free. He's released the change. You can walk in a newness of life. And you're meant to. Like as a child of the king, you are meant to live like a prince. You're meant to live like a princess. How do we do that? Unity. Like if you're not a part of a church body, right, and you're praying through it, hang out with us. See if this is where you want to go in. If you're part of somewhere else, I'm, I'm pleading with you, go back there and go all in. You're not meant to do it alone. Link arms, stand firm, come forward. Walk in a faithfulness that's producing the fruit of unity. A way we do it is courage. Like, are you a Christian example of courage in the marketplace, 
in your job, at home, with, with the stewardship of children and the environment, with your finances and the way people think about you, with your family members that think you're crazy, with the people who come to you and say things like, I thought you were smarter than that. Like, I, I thought you were kind of intelligent. I wouldn't think that, that you would ever want to walk in accordance with what God says is right and holy and true. And then buy them coffee and love them the way Christ loved you. Courage. In the third thing, suffer. What if, what, what if he granted it to us for his sake? Well, what if he appointed to us for his sake to endure? To have, to have oh God forbid, somebody unfriend you on Facebook because you post something about how kind and loving Jesus Christ is. What if we really leaned into that? Never to be jerks, never for machismo, but because he changed us. That's what's amazing about Christianity. You don't earn any of it. You didn't deserve to be saved. You're just saved because he's good and he's kind. But from it, it is meant to change us. Let me pray that though we've been made worthy, we would live worthy. Father, I thank you for the truth of this. Just for the reality as it calls in my heart, this, this terrified prayer of God, would you grant me a faithfulness, never for being a jerk, but for being loving with truth. To even we as your church, may we be marked by a unity and a courage and a willingness to suffer while we wait. May we feel your hand close. The only way we do this, God, is if we cling to the same resounding theme, that if we're gonna live, we're gonna live for you, and when we die, it's gonna be gain. We love you. Would you help us to live in response to that love? It's in your name that we pray, amen. Well, guys, hey, thank y'all for coming and joining us today whether you're first time or you've been here for a long time. Here's our prayer. Y'all go, have a great week of worship. We'll see you next Sunday.